0: Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky continues our series, Peace and Pain, where we talk about pain in life and how Jesus is our source of true peace. Matt talks about what true peace looks like this week, looking at Philippians 4, verses 4-7, through and how it tells us to rejoice and be thankful in the midst of our pain and anxiety. Matt talks about how peace doesn't remove the pain or circumstances in life, but guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. The end of this message is a tearjerker, so make sure you're prepared. We hope you enjoy this message. You guys had a good weekend? Yeah. We're experiencing a lot of different weather, man. I mean, it's, it's gone like 20 degrees difference in the course of 24 hours. I'm loving it. I kind of like the, the, the randomness of it all. So hopefully you guys are resting throughout the weekend, getting ready for uh, another week. Are you guys on fall break right now? You guys about to start fall break? Yeah. Anybody got like super anything fun going on fall break? Yeah. A party? Uh, just in general, a party. That's what I got going on. Pickled pig's feet, right? Yeah, I figured, okay. You tried them once at Epic, you, you're, that's what you're catering now, man. Cool. Well, guys, we want to welcome you tonight. We, we love that you're here. We rejoice that you're here. And uh, we want you to know that our prayer and our hope for you is that every time you come here, from the moment you park in the parking lot, that you would know that this is a place where you're loved and you have a place to belong. And it doesn't matter what you walk through those doors with. It doesn't matter the baggage. It doesn't matter what you've done this weekend. It doesn't matter what you've done this week. It doesn't matter even what you believe or where you're at on your spiritual journey. None of those things define the fact that you are loved and that you belong. Now, we believe Jesus is the source of hope and truth, and we pray like crazy that you come to discover that is true as well. But we want you to know, no matter what, you're loved and you belong here. That's our prayer for you guys. So welcome. Uh, we just rejoice that you're here. We've been in a series called Peace and Pain over the past couple of weeks, and um, it's been really, really good. I mean, I, I've just had really incredible conversations with some of you about what God is stirring up in your hearts from this series as we navigate these things that seemingly are opposed to one another, right? Like, how can you have peace and pain, but in God's ways of life and living, they're harmonious. They, they actually can coexist with one another. We've been talking about it, and we're going to continue that series tonight for the third week. So buckle up. Glad you're here. Um, man, I'm excited about tonight. I've been praying over this message for a long time and praying for you guys as well. But I, I got a question for you. I need to ask this. Is there any, is there any gum people in the house tonight? Yes. Sophie Pot and I talked before the service. We bonded because it was like... Oh, you're a gum person? I'm a gum person, too. I've been chewing gum since, like, the womb, man, so welcome, right? Like, is there any gum people in the house tonight? You know what I mean by that? Not just like, yeah, I'll chew gum occasionally, but I'm talking like, oh, bro, oh, I like gum, and I'm about the extra life, you know what I mean? So I, I have some gum here, okay? I'm going to toss it out because, oh, now all of a sudden everyone's a gum person. Oh, 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 yeah, now I am. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to engage in this. Emma, I got to be honest, I was scared to toss. Something to you. Our dear sister got a concussion last week when she was tossed a football last week, so I'm a little nervous to throw anything your way. Lucas, welcome, man. Hey, John, and you missed it, dude. I'm sorry, bro. Anyone else need some gum? Yeah, Maddie, i am a rainbow it. I'ma rainbow it, right to you. I have one piece left, I have one piece left. How about that right there? Okay. Sorry, man, I'm all out, I'm all out. You're right, dude. That's messed up. That's messed up. I got one more. I got one more. Okay. So, I'm a gum guy. I love gum. I know it's kind of weird. I just, I love gum, man. Like, if I'm not eating a meal, I'm chewing gum. And recently, my son, my oldest son, he's going to be four in seven days. 7 Mmm. We're having a superhero party. You all are invited. No, you're not. Um, <laughs> I don't feel like I belong anymore. Uh, no, you're invited. Hey, you, you're invited. I just won't tell you where it's at. Um, by the way, before I was leaving the house tonight, he pulls me aside and he says, Daddy. I said, yeah, bud. He said, can you tell your friends that I have a Spider-Man costume and a mask? And I was like... Buddy, I'll tell him. I'll tell him when I st- I'll tell him first thing. So now you're informed. He has a costume, and we're not just talking neck down. He's got a mask as well. So he wanted to make sure you guys knew that. But he's about to be four. And recently, and I don't know why. I don't know how this happened. He has kind of become fascinated with, with mint. I know. I know. I could have put anything in there. He's become fascinated with, like... A new show? A new cartoon? No. He's become fascinated with, like, syrup in his waffle? No. He's become fascinated with mint. I know it's strange. And it kind of started, like, three, four weeks ago. I was putting a piece of gum in my mouth, and he saw it. He's like, oh, Daddy, what is that? And I was like, oh, buddy, this is, this is gum, and it's named after people who don't have teeth, and they're forced to gum things like this, buddy. I don't know if that's why they name it. I imagine someone didn't have teeth and they're like, what can we make for this person? <laughs> oh, something you can only chew with your gums. Let's name it gum, right? Like, so I was trying to explain, like, buddy, you only chew it. You, eat only eat chew it. you only chew it. Huh? You definitely need teeth to chew I was about to say. Maddie, JJ, you just lost the invitation to the birthday party. <laughs> don't even bother showing up, but send gifts because that's a nice gesture, <laughs> all right? Anyway. So he saw me put one in, and he asked me what it was, and I'm explaining. Oh, buddy, this is, he's like, is that candy? No, it's, it's something else. He's like, oh, what do you do with that?" I was like, well, you chew it. He's like, oh. And listen, every, every kid that I've ever given a stick of gum to, and I've told them, you don't swallow it. You only chew it. You don't swallow. Every single kid I've given a stick of gum to and explained this, they've swallowed it every time. And I know you are wondering, like, wow, Matt, do you give gum to a lot of kids? <laughs> I, I, every single one of No, I, I just walk around the parks with some gum, man. I try to bless their day. No, I've only ever given gum to, to one kid. Okay. It was my niece, cool. but hey, hey, hey. But I explained the whole thing to her. You chew, you don't swallow, and she swallowed. So as of now, the statistics, 100% of the kids that I've done this with have (laughs) swallowed, all right? So I'm trying to explain it to Trent. I'm I'm saying, hey, buddy, you you chew it. He's like, you chew it? Yeah, you don't swallow. You just put it in, you chew it. He's like, okay. And so I gave him a stick, and I was like, maybe just start with a bite, buddy. Like, don't put the whole thing in because it's kind of intense. Gum's getting mintier these days, but it's kind of intense, and, and just start with a bite. So he... He takes a little bite, he chews it, and he's like, "Mmm, daddy, this is minty fresh. And I'm like... <laughs> it's like, where'd you, where'd you hear that? He's like, my daddy's minty fresh. So he'll chew it for a while, chew it for a while. And then obviously, as is the case with gum, it loses its flavor, right? So you spit it out. So he spits that part out, and then he takes a new bite, and he chews it for a while. Loses his flavor, spits it out, and chews for a while. And so at the end of the stick, he comes to me, and he goes, Daddy, is my, is my breath minty fresh? And, and he, <laughs> I have to get right in his face. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to be 100% honest with you guys. Like, like my brother, the man Sheehan, Nathan, wherever he's at. He might be out there right now. I don't like when people breathe on me. I don't like to smell your breath. I don't, like, I don't like to feel your warmth of breath. None of that, all right? Like, that's not my thing. If that's your thing, that's weird. But that's not my thing. But it's my son, you know what I mean? So I, I just suck it up. I hold my breath. I pretend like I'm actually smelling. I'm not. Am I lying to him? You be the judge. But I just... He breathes in my face like that episode of The Office, you know what I'm talking about, where Michael and Dwight have that moment. And he... Uh, And he asks is my breath minty fresh i say oh buddy it's so minty fresh and he gets so proud he gets so proud and he usually runs off to tell mom about it and so every day he's been like chewing he's been chewing gum but he's already figured out like hey man it it does lose its flavor and you do have to replace it right and that's one of the worst parts i love gum but one of the least favorite parts is when it's flat like when it's done now you're just chewing on this like stale piece of rubber and depending on the scenario, it's not always appropriate to just like, like spit it somewhere, right? And I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, I'll just swallow it, because it stays in you like 100 years or something like that, right? <laughs> and so it, you just end up, like sometimes I'll just tuck it under my tongue and try to forget about it, and other times I'm just like tucking it up in my, and some gum like disintegrates. You guys ever experienced that? It's the worst, right? Like all of a sudden it just melts in your mouth. You're like, oh, yeah. like what is happening? It's disgusting, I hate that. He's already learned that. He's already learned that. You got to spit it and replace it. He's learned it. He's learned it. He's learned it. And everybody that I gave a stick of gum to, probably by the end of, of this talk, this sermon, you'll, it'll be done. It'll be flat. It'll be stale, right? That's the nature of it. And I know what you're thinking. Like, dude, what the heck is this? Like, what, what are we, where are we going with this, buddy? Where are we going with this? But hear me out. Hear me out. I think that this is exactly how our perception of the Spirit of God is. Like, I think this is how we apply the Spirit into our lives. Specifically, when it comes to peace, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. We have this idea that, you know, you read the Scriptures and Jesus talks all over the place that, hey, I am giving you my Spirit, my Spirit. He's coming, the Helper, the Comforter, my Spirit. He's coming, I will send Him. He talks all over the Gospels about the Spirit. All throughout the Bible, the Spirit of God is talked about. And one of the greatest promises that we have in the New Covenant, in the New Testament as we read about it, is that God's full presence lives inside of anybody who claims the name of Jesus. So God lives in you. His Spirit is in you. And yet, when, when it comes to receiving Him or, or engaging with Him and especially applying peace... We kind of treat it like a stick of gum. Like, oh, I've got this hard scenario in my life. I got a test or I got to, you know, I got to ask this girl out, you know what I mean? Like, God, I need some peace on this, right? Like we have all these scenarios. I'm going through something hard. Like something in my emotional state, something in my mental state, something in my physical, something is going on in my life, and I need peace. And so what do we do? We go and we pray, God, would you give me Fill in that blank. Who said said gum? Who said, we've moved on. The analogy is building now, okay? Would you give me peace, right? But we pray it as if in that moment we don't have it, right? And so it's like we pray that, and then maybe we feel better. Maybe we feel a little more encouraged, and then The next day or the next week or the next month or whatever, when we go through another hard time, what do we do? Oh, God, I'm going through this now. Would you give me peace? But wait a minute. What happened to it the last time? Did it just go stale like the stick of gum we've been chewing? Or is that how the Spirit of God, is that how His presence works? I'll give you just enough to make it through this one, and then you're just going to be in turmoil in your soul after this. you got to pray it again. Or have we misunderstood what the Spirit of God actually offers? And that it's not like a stick of gum which goes flat after a certain part of period of time that we have to spit out and pop in another one. Pray it again, pray it again. What if the peace of God is permanent? We just don't really know how to engage with it or apply it. I want to jump to John 14. Now, this isn't where we're gonna be camping tonight. We're gonna be in Philippians most of the night, but I just wanna go to John 14 real quick. We have it on the, the screens as well. John's a really interesting book, this guy John, um, as he writes this book. The first 12 chapters, 1 through 12, are more or less the three years of Jesus' public ministry from the age of 30 to 33. And then the last half of his book, chapters 13 through 21, are the last three days of Jesus' life and ministry. John, John has this unique approach to his gospel. Years is the first half. Days is the last half. John 13 is the turning point when Jesus has his last supper with his disciples. John 14, he begins to get into this conversation, and his disciples, his men that follow him, these, these young men that follow him, begin to kind of to, to, to realize, wait a minute, he's speaking as if he's leaving us. And they begin to say things like, hey, please don't go, don't leave us. And Jesus begins to talk, I, I have to leave, I am leaving you. And they say, no, please, well, how about this, wherever you go, let's, can we follow? And Jesus is like, not yet, but you know the way. And they're like, we don't know the way. And then probably one of the most famous verses, right, John fourteen uh, six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus starts to reveal this. As that chapter progresses, and this is where we're going to be, Tonight, this is our kind of launching point. Jesus says this very, very interesting thing in verse 26. He says this, but the helper, the helper, and then he clarifies, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Verse 27, peace, I leave with you. I'm giving you peace, I'm leaving you with peace. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives peace. Not as the world gives it, do I give it. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So somehow in Jesus' mind, this peace that he offers is able to equip us, enable us, inspire us to not be troubled or discouraged. And then he compares the peace he gives to the peace of the world. And I think if we were just to to do a quick breakdown, the peace of the world is circumstantial. Like, hey, I need to do this to feel better so that I can either distract myself from the reality of what I'm going through or somehow cope with the reality or comfort myself through the reality, escape or endure, right? Jesus seems to be saying, hey, whatever the world offers is temporary and specific to the circumstance. The peace that I give is not like that. Jesus equates the coming of the permanent presence of the Spirit with peace. And I think he's talking about the very same thing. I'm leaving, but I am sending a helper. And the promise of our faith is that the presence of God, the full presence of God, will live and abide and dwell within us, the helper. And Jesus seems to be saying that helper is peace. My peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives peace. Mine's different. Jesus is talking about a permanent peace. No matter the storm, no matter the waves, no matter what you're going through in life, you are not without peace. And yet somehow we've come to understand the peace which God gives as this temporary fading thing. We pop it in, we say a quick prayer, we go through whatever we're going through, and then we don't have it anymore until the next time we need it. And then we're like, God, please, would you give me another one? Pop it in until it goes stale, right? Jesus seems to be saying, no, 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 you don't understand, man. I don't give it like the world gives it. Mine is permanent. It's indwelling peace. It never leaves you peace. It's the Spirit of God. So for those of us who believe in Jesus, the peace of God is not a what. It's not something, it's someone. It's, it's not a what, it, it's a who. Who is peace? It's the Spirit of God. It's not some thing, it's someone. It's, it's who. He is peace, the Spirit. Jesus says, I'm giving that to you through faith in me so then the question on the table has to be then dude if that's true if you're saying that we have permanent peace then why don't i feel right why don't i feel like i have permanent peace why do i feel the weight of anxiety more than peace why do i worry about things in my life more than peace prevailing in my life why am i weighed down by burdens when you seem to be saying this is a permanent reality? Right, that's the question. And again, if you remember last week, we talked a little bit about how we've kind of redefined a few things and we've started to treat the word of God like a fortune cookie, open it up and, oh, the magic of the word will somehow give us something, right, like, hey, it's not not like that, man. And this is a similar thing. We've begun to define peace as the absence of pain. And therefore, if I have pain in my life, if I'm worried about anything, anxious about anything, burdened by anything, if I have pain, then I must not have peace. And we've begun to think that that's true. I got a news flash for you. That's not true. That's how the world perceives peace. Oh, you want peace? You got to remove this. You need peace? You got to empty this. Jesus seems to be saying, no, 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 I have a different peace. It's a permanent, residing, abiding peace in the midst of pain. Jesus is not talking about, I'll remove all the pain from your life. That's what will give you peace. That's circumstantial peace. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a peace linked to someone, not something. It's different. So how can we have peace and pain that coexist? I think first we need to redefine our understanding of peace. It's not the absence of pain. It's not the absence of pain. It's the presence of the Spirit. Now, I told you we're just in John as a launching point. We're not there. I just want you to understand peace is a who, not a what. So now, let's jump to Philippians. Let's jump to Philippians. This is where we're going to be, in a, and I really want to unpack. Man, this is one of those verses I was talking to my dear sister, Jess, Weinberg, I know you hate to be on the spot, but we were talking about this verse and you were like, dude, this is one of the first verses that really like tugged at my heart and kind of got me engaged in my my journey of faith. I mean, this is one of those verses, right? No matter really how long you've been rolling in Christian circles or even if you've never really rolled in Christian circles, wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, the journey, right? Like you've more than likely heard this verse or heard someone try to quote this verse or something like that. So let's, let's read our passage, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This is what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Ah, that's hard. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, and now we understand that, right, to be the spirit, the presence, the person of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anyone ever heard this verse before? Show of hands, yes? Yeah, very popular one. But if we're honest, for those those of us who have ever wrestled with anxieties, worries, depression, suicidal thoughts, or tendencies— any emotional, like, chaos going on in here, any mental static, anything like that, this verse almost seems too good to be true, right? It almost seems like, no, that one doesn't work. It's popular, but it doesn't work because I've tried it, and nothing happened. So, again, we got to be careful that we're not defining peace by the absence of pain. We have to understand what's being said here. So what is Paul saying? Well, first of all, I want you guys to know, Paul's not talking about, like, some pie in the sky, like, I'm crapping rainbows here, like, everything's just, woo like, yeah, man, right? Because it starts off that way, rejoice! You're like, what? Like, this is a passage about pain, anxiety, being weighed down by life, and here comes Paul, man, <laughs> rejoice! Like, no. I don't know if you guys have ever encountered someone who's in the midst of a serious, Painful season of life. But I'm just going to use my sister Rachel. This is hypothetical. Ray's not going through crisis right now that I'm aware of. But let's just say Ray came to me one day in tears. She just comes into my office. It's not all too uncommon so far, but she just comes into my office, knocks on my door. It's like, Maddie, can I just talk to you? Yeah, Ray, come on in. Here's the box of Kleenex. I'm just going through all this stuff. I just, I just need to talk. I'm like, wait, 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 before you get into your stuff, let's rejoice, girl, let's do it! It's like, Paul. does Paul understand pain? Like, you read this and you're like, no, this can't be linked. It's like, it's almost like he took this snippet of like, hey, Jesus will save you and rescue you from all your sins and he'll heal you and make you right with God. It's almost like he was thinking about that and took, well, I'll just put that right here and I need a filler. Like, no, this doesn't belong here seemingly that'd be the worst advice hey i know you're really hurting but man let's just give a hallelujah right like what but paul begins this thought with rejoice in the lord and let me just say it again in case you didn't hear it he backs it up a second time rejoice and it's easy to think Paul is talking about like, hey man, unicorns, rainbows and all that stuff and he's just got like rose colored glasses on and he's seeing the world optimistically. He doesn't understand the reality of pain. It's easy to think that's what he's saying. Like, hey, just be happy. You just gotta be cheerful. See the glasses half full, not half empty. It's easy to kind of think, Paul doesn't get it. But if you read the scriptures, you read about Paul's life, in fact, Philippians 4, he begins to get into some description about his sufferings, you begin to understand, oh, Paul gets it. Like, dude has suffered. How can his posture be rejoice? He's not talking about some, like, mantra of, like, just be happy, be happy, be happy. No, 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 no. This is a discipline. This is a mindset which you, you discipline yourself into in the midst of pain rejoice in the lord always i'll say it again rejoice verse five let your reasonableness be made known to everyone what is reasonable this is a Paul this is weird man usually we focus on that anxiety verse right like pray and but it's in the context of this we got to understand reasonableness it 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 literally breaks down to like gentleness it's kind of weird right Paul what does gentleness have to do with what i'm going through man Why, why is Paul talking about hey man rejoice if you're going through something right now and you're just in the deepest possible pain and worry and anxiety rejoice and be gentle with everybody paul i hate you man like this what are you talking about it means gentleness it 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 literally has this idea of like let the needs of others still be elevated in your mind that with everyone around you, and look, it doesn't say just those who believe in Jesus and line up with, it. it's everyone. Let this gentleness, this presence that you have, the needs of others, everybody, let that be made known to everyone. Rejoicing and considering others is how Paul begins talking about anxiety. It's very interesting. So then he says, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every, Paul, like, really, Paul? Like, don't be anxious about anything. Is that, like, how real is that? Is that a reality that we, like, dude, I got a big test coming up. You don't want me to worry about it? I mean, I'm trying not to worry about it, but you're saying, I, like, I, I can't? Yeah, don't be anxious about that. Man, I got tryouts for the sports team at school. I've been waiting years for that, and, and dude, I'm—I ner- got butterflies in my. Stomach. You're, you're saying, "I see you, Sean Paul." He's like, "Yeah, I'm there, man." It's nerve-wracking, right? It's like, dude, what if I don't make the team? I Paul's like, "Hey, hey. rejoice, man." It's like, I don't want to rejoice, fool. I want to be worried. That's my tenet. I want—I want to be anxious. I want—I want to make this thing like an anchor in my heart and life, and, and let it affect my stomach and get nauseous. Like that's what I want. Paul, don't tell me to rejoice. Be gentle with people. I can't be anxious about anything. Dude, I... Man, there's someone in my family right now that's sick, man. Seriously sick. And it's not looking... good. You're telling me I I, I can't be anxious about that? True story. I've got a a dear friend of mine. I just got a text. He has stage four cancer that just returned. He's been free for a couple years and it just returned. I texted him uh, yesterday. I imagine he's... Oh, God, what am I, like, what am I going to, I got a family, like, how, what, how am I going, am I about to, <clears throat> hey, Jeremy, man, <laughs> dude, I know you're nervous, but, bro, we just got to praise the Lord right now, rejoice a little bit, you know what I'm saying, and, and brother, let me just remind you, be gentle, be gentle, it's like, what, Paul, like, dude, what are you saying? Because we typically take just this one section of this verse, hey, don't be anxious, but in everything, pray to God. And we tend to translate it as, in our minds at least, once you do that, you'll have peace. But that's not what Paul says, is it? Is it? You ever notice how you can read a verse a hundred times, but if you have a a presupposition or a predefined reality about what it means, you go in reading what you've already injected into it? Let's, Let's keep reading. Let's see what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, presence of God. In your Bibles, you can jump down to verse 9 and and see, instead of peace of God, Paul twists it and says, God of peace. It's, It's the presence of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So look at the verse. Does Paul anywhere in here say, hey, once you pray to God with your requests that you're anxious about, now you'll have peace? Does Paul say that? Does Paul say, hey, once you make all these requests known to God, everything that's weighing you down will be removed from your life? Does Paul ever say that? No. But somehow we've convinced ourselves that's what this verse means. If you're going through something, No, I'm so sorry you're going. Hey, don't be anxious. Just pray to God. You'll have peace. He'll take it away. That's how we prescribe this verse, right? Has anyone ever heard it that way? Like that's how it's been given to you? Show of hands. So I don't feel like I'm alone. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Oh, you're going. Oh, just pray, man. Just pray. But that's not exactly what Paul said. It doesn't mean it's not true necessarily. God could take it away. But that's not what Paul's saying. I mean, let's look at what he's saying here. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, wow, man, what if whew, what if we had the, cult? what if prayer was not our last resort, but our first reaction? You know what I mean? What if we had that kind of culture with each other? Hey, man, I'm just going through something. It just landed. Could we pray, dude? I know this is, Can we just pray? Usually we make prayer the last resort. Man, I've tried on my own. I've, I've, I've done my own strength. It's not where I'm at. I'll pray. Now I'll try you, God. Paul says, with everything pray, and here's the kicker, and this is this is tough. Prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Now, man, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This verse has been kicking me in the teeth all week. Because most times that we approach this passage, someone's going through something and we're like, oh, dude. Well, you know, the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but, but with everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests to be made known to God. See how easily that rolled out? Like, that's actually how I had this passage memorized. I've had to re, like, re-learn it because I have made thanksgiving absent in my memorization of this passage. I've heard it so many times be taught, oh, make your requests be made known to God. Through prayer and supplication, make your requests be. What happened to Thanksgiving? When did people take that out? I mean, if you just notice how easily that slips, even when you read it, it's like right over Thanksgiving, right? It's like, oh, we got to pray, we got to pray. But Paul says, no, oh, no, 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 no. With prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God. With Thanksgiving. Wow. All of a sudden, this is different. To me, it's like, dude, all right, so Paul, you're saying, you're saying, I'm going through a hard time. I'm anxious. I, I'm, I'm worried. I'm weighed down by something. I'm reacting to something. I'm triggered by something. I don't even know why, but man, my, everything's chaotic. And Paul, you're saying that somehow I should be rejoicing. I should be gentle in my spirit, considering the needs of others. Remember, that's what this reasonableness word means. And that when I pray to God, I should somehow be thankful in the heat of those emotions. Like, in the heat of those emotions. Paul's saying, yeah. But we don't do that, do we? We're way down, we're anxious, we immediately jump to the most negative possible outcome. We worry and worry about the worry and worry and about tomorrow and what ifs, and we make what ifs, what is, and then that weighs us down and all these. And when we go to God and say, man, God, thank you for filling in the blank, and man, I just want to pray for and praise you for. I mean, this is, Paul is teaching this formula in the midst of this reality, and most of us just focus on praying what we're worried about. We don't praise God, and we definitely don't give thanks to God, we just pray. And we wonder, man, why do I not feel the peace? Could it be that there's a link between thanksgiving and peace? Because verse 7 says, if you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it doesn't make sense. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments where you're just so anxious and you're so worked up and then all of a sudden, you're just like, wow, God is good. I don't know what more to say than that. The circumstances aren't removed, but it's like, God is good. Like, I don't know if you've ever just been settled like that. That's what Paul's talking about. Does it make sense? Nope. That's why it's beyond all understanding. Does your anxiety make sense most times? Probably not. That's beyond understanding too, which is good. We need a supernatural peace to combat some of these anxieties. But look at what he says. This peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say, hey, this piece takes away circumstances. Paul doesn't say, hey, this piece removes pain. Paul says this piece guards your heart. Why would we need our hearts guarded? I'll tell you why. You know Paul's writing this from prison. Every day he sees the guard. Philippi... He's writing to the Philippians. Philippi is a military city. He's using like military language, guard, like this defensive language. He's seeing it every day, my guard outside of my prison cell. I'm not allowed to leave. There's a guard that. I think, I think Paul knows this to be true. When you go through pain and when we suffer, when we don't understand what's happening in life, It is so easy in those moments to become bitter, to blame God, to get angry at God and everyone around us, if we're honest. We treat people like crap for no reason, our parents, our friends, and our whole perspective changes. And I've seen it so many times, guys, where people who believe in Jesus, something happened in their life, and it didn't quite go the way they planned, and so the outcome was basically like, all right, if God's going to let that happen, then I'm done with God. And then they go on their own path and become some of the most bitter, rageful, angry, hateful people. I think Paul knows there's a reality. Pain can produce rage and bitterness and anger. To combat that, we need peace. I think that's why Paul says, let your reasonableness be made known to all, let your gentleness Consider the needs of others at all times. I think he knows, dude, when you start to go through pain, and when you start to get angry and bitter and selfish and rageful, you start to think about what you want. All right, fine, God. Then I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna live my life my way. I put in, I put in your way, you didn't do it. Okay, okay. Like we start to then elevate how we want to live life and our own preferences and our pride comes to the surface. And I think Paul knows we need something to guard against those emotions, which is why I think think he uses the word guard here. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. From what? From the negativity and bitterness and rage. Does the peace of God remove pain? No. Does the peace of God change your circumstances? No. Does the peace of God change your heart? Yes. Yes and a heart change can lead to a perspective change. And a perspective change then can all of a sudden start seeing the reality around you differently and could even lead you to rejoice and give thanks. Every night every night when I tuck my son my my costume son my minty fresh son Trent Every night, in our bedtime routine, we pray together, and at the end of our prayer, I say, all right, Trent, let's tell Jesus what we're thankful for today. Every night, we do this. You know why I started doing that? Because I know in my own life, if I don't give thanks to God, if I don't discipline myself to do it, before long, I begin to forget how good God has been to me, and then I start to slip into complaint becomes about me. So every night, we thank God for three things. The cure to bitterness. I'm not, I'm not talking about removing pain and some magic like, oh God, would you just change everything? I'm talking about being able to endure the realities around you and still praising God and understanding how good he is. The cure to bitterness and rage and selfishness and pride the cure is thankfulness. Paul says we ought to give thanks in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving this is it, it can't be removed it's, it's not this separate entity like yeah, you can pray to God and, and, and yeah the, yeah it, your heart will still be guarded there's something about thankfulness that in the midst of the deepest possible pain and worry and stress and anxiety and all these things that when you get to this place of God, man, this is tough. I thank you that you've given me your spirit. I thank you, God, that I can even approach you and pray to you. God, I, I thank you for my family. I thank you for whatever. It's, it's this idea. I'm not saying, hey, you know what you ought to give thanks for? The circumstances. I'm not saying like, God, I thank you for the pain that I'm in. Maybe you have that posture and you just have this clarity. Sometimes that may be true. But I, I, what I'm saying is the discipline of thanksgiving in the midst of the pain leads to a peace which we don't understand, and it guards our heart. It protects our heart from what I think selfishness, pride, bitterness, hatefulness, rage. Defining our own perspective of life. I want to share a story with you guys. And admittedly, it's, a, it's going to be hard for me to get through. Okay? Like, it's, it's a hard one, but it's raw and it's real. And I've, I've never quite seen this passage played out with such clarity. I have some dear friends... Christian and Alex, and um, I went to college with them. I officiated their wedding a, a number of years ago, and last year, Alex got pregnant with a little baby girl. Some of the best news ever, right? So they're like rejoicing and so thankful, and as this baby began to develop in her belly, the doctors began to notice, hey, there's, there's some serious complications with this girl. There's some health issues, and all, all the sonograms and, and the ultrasounds and everything, like, we're, we're detecting a lot of problems. This sweet little girl, for some reason, her organs were all in the wrong places. Her heart was developing on the outside of her sternum, her diaphragm, out here, not inside. And a lot of other problems. So... They knew that upon arrival, like right right out of the womb, that this little girl would have to endure and undergo intensive and strenuous and numerous surgeries. And the chances of survival were just, I mean, nothing. This was all the longest shot you could ever imagine. But Christian and Alex prayed over this girl and had so many people partnering in prayer. Everyone was praying for her. She was born with all these problems, and sure enough, started to um, have surgeries, and they went down to a specialist in Florida, like the best of the best for, for this, and uh, for three months, they just picked up their lives and lived in Florida. Christian had to commute back and forth to South Carolina uh, to maintain his job. You know, after three months off, couldn't quite do it, so after a while, he started to have, have to drive back and forth, and every time he would walk in that hospital room, he would he's a their whole family are just unbelievable musicians, but he would pick up his ukulele and just start playing, and he would sing over this little girl. They just loved on her with everything they had. Surgery after surgery after surgery. Alex began a blog and started to invite people in <clears throat> to this blog so that people could understand what was going on and pray even more fervently. And so I, I have a picture here of. Of um, the beautiful baby girl. That's Magnolia. So we're tracking with Christian and Alex um, on the journey, and, and we're, you know, praying with them. And at Epic, if you guys remember, I asked that room full, of 300 people, to pray for this little girl. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Alex updated the blog and put in an entry, and this was her title. We are hurting, but Magnolia is not. I have the blog here. I want you guys to follow while I read it. This is her. We are heartbroken to share that our precious girl went to be with Jesus this afternoon. She declined rapidly late this week. It became very clear that she would not make it our team was able to keep her stable long enough for Christian to come back down before she passed. We were able to hold her in her last minutes free of wires, tape, and pain. We are trusting God to carry us through this pain. The absence of pain No, the endurance of pain. We are unendingly grateful for the thousands of prayers lifted on her behalf. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, and thy glory in my valley. How can grieving parents who just lost God's most precious gift, we are trusting God to carry us through this, and we are unendingly grateful for your prayers. Is that not what Paul is talking about? Rejoice, remain gentle with everyone, let the spirit of, of God be at dis, on display in your actions and posture, and give thanks so that your hearts and minds are guarded by the peace which God gives. We are grateful that you pray for our You notice, we got thousands of people to pray, and God didn't answer. Is that bitterness there? Nope. We got thousands of people to pray, and God didn't come through for us. They have protected their hearts and minds with the peace by rejoicing and praising and giving thanks, even in the deepest pit possible, I think, in this world, losing a child. So they had a funeral for Sweet Magnolia. I drove down. It's one of the saddest things I've ever seen or been a part of. Walked in the church. It's packed. Everyone's there to show love and support. I look up front at a very tiny casket. I've never seen one that small. It just hit me. I went up to the balcony, we began the services. Oh man, there wasn't a dry eye or nose in that whole place. It's one of the most beautiful services I've ever been a part of. Towards the end, They played a song. It's a song by Hillsong. It's called The Highland Song. I don't know if you've heard it. But I just want to read the first verse of this song. Oh, how high I would climb mountains If the mountains were where you hide How far I'd scale the valleys if you graced the other side. Oh, how long have I chased rivers from lowly seas to where they rise against the rush of grace descending from the source of its supply? Because in the highlands and the heartache, you're neither more or less inclined. I would search and stop at nothing. You're just not that hard to find. this lament to God. I would go to the world's ends to find you, but I don't need to because you've made yourself available. It's one of the most beautiful truths. They're singing this song. Everyone's weeping, right? And I'm sitting up in the balcony. I can't see the people below me from my perspective because there's this wall there. But during this song, all of a sudden, I see this hand creep up to the sky and just hold its place the entire length of this song. And, dude, I was like, I was weeping already. The song, the the environment, Sweet Magnolia, Her Life, Christian and Alex, I was already broken. When I saw this hand go up, everything in me just crumbled. Who's lifting a hand? How could... Who has the strength and the fortitude to praise God? As true as this song is, who is there right now? Who's got the mentality to worship? And I had to see. So I stood up out of my seat and looked over the balcony edge. And it's Alex, the mom of baby Magnolia, my friend Alex, the mother, who's staring at the casket right in front of her. every reason in the world to be angry. She's praising God. Rejoicing. We are hurting, but Magnolia is no longer hurting. That's something to be thankful for, God. Thank you for taking away her suffering and that she's with Jesus now. And that one day we'll see her and meet her and rejoice with her. God, thank you for giving us three months with her for allowing Christian to get back to the hospital before she passed. Thank you for that. There's so much to be thankful for, and I'm not sure I would have been there. And in the midst of this unreal pain, Alex has her hand to the heavens praising God because his presence is not far from us. that's what the peace of Christ guarding our hearts and minds looks like. Is it the absence of it all? The absence of pain? That God would just heal Magnolia and now I can rejoice? No! Life doesn't work like that and we have defined peace as the absence of pain for too long. And then when that's not the reality, we get so bitter at God because of something we defined. The peace of God is the presence of God, not the removal of pain. And our hearts are susceptible to raging and pride and anger. And it's so easy to let those things take us far from peace. The defense, the protector, the guardian of our heart, Paul says, is thankfulness. Rejoicing in who God is in the midst of our pain. so maybe tonight you could redefine what peace looks like and come to understand it not as the absence of pain and anxiety and worry, but as the full presence of God in you. And maybe lift a hand and rejoice and give thanks in the reality that you are loved and that you have a comforter in the midst of your pain. Let's sing.